this is Harrison Smith with another episode of Cinema. And going to give a plug for Deadly Grounds Coffee. Have a listen. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. And we all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. <laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. I've said in several podcasts before that I wasn't going to just keep cranking out episodes on a weekly basis unless I had something to say. And so it's really nice when something occurs, uh, whether in my life, in the news, uh, with the entertainment industry, that gives me something I wish to talk about. And uh, for this podcast episode, I'm talking about the cult of James Wan in the recent release of his film Malignant. I'm going to get into this in a moment. Uh, Cinema, for those of you who are just tuning in to what this is about, this is not a review on Malignant. I have not seen the film. Uh, I will see the film. I just have not seen it yet because I've been pretty busy and uh, I just can't drop everything nor find the time right now to watch it. However, I will has nothing to do against James Wan or the film at all. And I'll watch it and make my own assessments uh, based upon my own thoughts and criticism. However, someone, well, a bunch of people have watched it. And uh, cinema is about the demand for better, that we should be demanding something better of our entertainment because cinema, C-Y-N-E-M-A, derives from the the concept that I came up with after watching Jaws the Revenge of when a filmmaker or entertainer can have the ability or has the ability uh, to make something great and they make a conscious decision not to do that, that they either go for mediocre or less. This is not about so bad it's good entertainment. It takes a lot of work to make a shitty movie. And for those of you who are filmmakers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It takes very little effort to make a mediocre film. And I feel that is one of our major problems today in entertainment. It's mediocrity. It's not about bad movies. It's just about mediocre, run-of-the-mill, vanilla remakes, reboots, reimaginings, and just basically concept, big screen, crash and boom movies. And we'll get into that coming up in a little bit. So the Twitter attacks against this one person on Twitter uh, became personal. And it was a thread of the recent malignant film in which people, of course, are gushing and ooing and eyeing and it's amazing and it's incredible and it's awesome and all the same words over and over and over, blah, 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 blah. And in three weeks, nobody will be fucking talking about it. But because it's out right now, we all have to jump on Uh, that bandwagon, and everybody has to talk about it. And here's the catch for this episode. It seems to be that everybody must love it. 
That seems to go a certain way these days online, and we're going to be getting into that today. So the thread of of the recent film Malignant and its comments is this episode is about someone who stepped out of the blind faithful to express, with critical thinking, why they weren't exactly bowled over by the film. So I'm going to read you the original tweet from Death Curse Podcast. You can find him on Twitter, uh, has a great show, and uh, knows what he's talking about. Imagine that. And so he wrote this tweet about his personal assessment of Malignant. And you ready? Here we go. He wrote, Malignant, a really dumb, cheesy movie with odd tonal shifts and weird score choices. Acting isn't that great, but some good gore. Feels like a bad 90s slasher movie. A different turn for James Wan, and in parentheses writes, who I'm not particularly a fan of. Having said all that, I liked it. Now pay attention to that. He said he liked it. Just some of the responses coming out of the gate. One of them, I think it was the top one from this woman, wrote, Wow, you must be really fun. And then she added for emphasis a a meme, a gif, an animated gif of Wednesday Addams from the Addams Family TV show slicing her throat, you know, doing that slicing her throat, drawing her finger across her throat thing. Um, First of all, what the fuck does that mean? And what do you mean this passive aggressive, wow, you must be really fun. My response is, wow, lady, You must be really fun that you have nothing else to do but come after somebody for expressing their opinion. And I'm going to say a really well thought out criticism. It wasn't like I saw Malignant and it sucked. Again, Malignant, a really dumb, cheesy movie with odd tonal shifts and weird score choices. Right there. That sounds like an educated response. Acting isn't that great, but some good gore found something positive in there and even in the first line. Feels like a bad 90s slasher movie, which the 90s were filled with. A different turn for James Wan, who I'm not particularly a fan of, but having said all that, I liked it. What could possibly be wrong with that kind of an assessment? Well, I'm going to get to that. Someone else wrote underneath, which invariably comes up almost every time someone speaks out against something that all of Twitter must love. Someone wrote, you must have never seen a horror movie before. Oh, thank you, Mr. Horror Expert. Thank you, Horror God, for giving us that kind of an assessment right there. You're right. The guy who has a horror podcast has never seen a horror movie before. Sorry your butt hurt over the fact that he didn't like your little malignant movie. Death Curse Podcast went on to support what he said, comparing it to a Fast and Furious installment. That's what he wrote later. He he ended up having to go on the defense and, and defending himself and his opinions on things. And he said it's like a Fast and Furious installment. Not good, but entertaining. He said also there was an emphasis on the third act to carry the whole film. All of this is a microcosm of what is happening in this nation and overall the world. We have become so polarized that you must either be this or that. 
Look at the first response right out of the thread to this gentleman's thoughtful critique. You must not watch horror films. Humans have always been tribal. The internet has amplified this, this tribalism. We are now so polarized that we have to be red or blue, liberal, conservative, and we own whatever camp we are labeled. So whatever one group does, we just have to defend the whole thing. We can't actually sit down and think about the actions of the, of the tribe that we belong to. We have to own it all instead of using critical thinking to understand that nothing is truly black or white and we've lost the ability to explore the gray areas. There are so many people with voices on the internet, so many screaming into the blackness of the void, and, and it creates echo chambers to support someone's point of view without accepting factual data or any type of imperial evidence that challenges their stand on something. How did anything the DC podcast said result in a complete ignorance of the genre? Please point that out to me. So to keep this on topic with film and entertainment and not stray into the area that makes YouTube block or remove my episodes, we circle back to the film thread. Listen to episode seven titled Critical Thinking. That's my previous podcast I did a while ago. The online community especially has become complicit in a woke cultural Jacobin reign of terror. If you don't know who the Jacobins are, Look them up after this podcast because that's exactly what we have going on now. You will either fall in line with us. We overthrew the bad things and now we've become the bad things. Instead of fostering critical thinking to examine all aspects of a topic, weighing the pros and cons, the positives or negatives, it has become an all or nothing mentality. And this is the case for Star Wars, Marvel, and in the world of horror, Halloween, Friday the 13th, and for individuals, people like James Wan. The Twitter user in question that I've said is Death Curse Podcast, and someone like I've told you I follow, I listen to, and I interact with online. I have no business dealings with him. I don't do anything. He doesn't promote me. I'm not promoting him. However, this is his original assessment of Malignant in a casual thread, while the rest of the platform gushed on and on about James Wan's latest masterpiece. Why is it okay to love so bad it's good entertainment? Isn't that kind of what this gentleman is saying here? I mean, it's not an Oscar film, nor by far the greatest film he's ever seen. But it passed the time, has a good chunk of cheese factor to it, and overall, despite coming from the revered, almost deified James Wan, it's just okay, but it is entertaining. An entire convention industry has emerged on the love and passion for so bad it's good horror. Why isn't what DC Podcast is saying something that is seen as a good thing? And sorry, uh, Death Curse Podcast, for me calling you DC, it just seems to work better in, in broadcasting this. Suddenly the insults go flying because people are butthurt, like I said, over someone attacking their idol, their god, James Wan, who is perfect, infallible, and incapable of making a single mistake. Again, he wrote, it's fun, it's entertaining but not a particularly good movie. Reading this thread gave me hope that my podcast isn't for nothing. We have a horror fan who watched something that the overall fan base expected to be loved, embraced, and beholden simply because it came from one of their heroes. It's akin to saying the entire Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, or Friday the 13th franchises are all terrific across the board. They are not. The problem is anytime someone strays from the groupthink, you are allowed to disagree 
as long as everyone disagrees on the same thing. Apply this to politics and you see part of the reason why we are in the situation we are as a nation and as a species. The first reaction is to attack. Death Curse podcast is immediately chastised. He must be a lot of fun or is another lashed back. He's never seen a horror movie before. This puts a person who simply expressed an opinion on the immediate defensive, as I said. There was a time when discourse was civil. Thoughts could be exchanged and disagreement could get heated. But in the end, each side got to state their point of view. It's not always about winning. And in the end with this, folks, it's just another horror film that in a year or two, some people will remember, but overall, it's not going to be making the splash on Twitter that we have right now. I want to state here that three, and I put this in quote, fans, a negative term as it implies fanatic, which in turn implies mental instability. Three fans of two different film franchises have blocked me on Twitter. A number have unfollowed me for my comments on two very diverse franchises, Star Trek and Halloween. The Star Trek guy blocked me because of a fun discussion I had with several Twitter users on the scope of the entire Star Trek franchise and my personal feeling that the original Star Trek The Motion Picture was a beautiful, well-made big screen film but lacked the heart and soul of the characters and the warmth of their relationships which would be restored in the subsequent Wrath of Khan. Blocked. The two Halloween fans took umbrage with my very detailed and supported assessment of 1981's Halloween 2, which I felt was nothing more than a cash-in sequel and retread of the first film that gets love only because the original stars all returned and it continues on the same night. In effect, they lump Halloween 1978 with Halloween 2 into a single film. And for the record, for those of you who love Halloween so much, the 2018 film jettisoned completely all aspects of the 1981 film and dropped that stupid Michael and Laurie are brother and sister plotline. It was dumb. And even John Carpenter knew it. And that's why they got rid of it. But it doesn't matter. The fan faithful, they stand by their film. No matter if it sucks or not, they're standing by it. Lumping Halloween 1978 with the 1981 sequel is simply not true, nor a proper assessment of two very diverse motion pictures. While I can't say George Lucas scored winners with his prequel trilogy in Star Wars, I can find numerous positive things to say about some of the acting, production values, and hard work so many put into those films. Had the internet been around in the late 70s, Lucas, Spielberg, and and Carpenter would have been made into infallible gods based on just one or several of their films. I mean, you can even argue to some extent that has happened today. But they are artists. They are human artists. And all of them have made their occasional missteps and often talk about that openly. They are not perfect. They are not impervious to failure, no matter how badly their fans want them to be. In the case of Lucas, the internet did the opposite, turning his rabid fan base against the filmmaker, driving him from the franchise and making any further movies himself. Now they've turned their ire to Disney and any quick trip through social media will show you that no one hates Star Wars movies more than Star Wars fans. We're going to get to M. Night Shyamalan before we go to full James Wan, so bear with me here. 
Let me ask any of you who do this blind faithful defense of something, whether it's a political figure or a piece of entertainment that includes sports, just what do you get out of this? Why is there such a fanatical allegiance to film franchises or series or sports teams where the slightest criticism will not be tolerated? What happens to a person when they see a comment or non-favorable critique that they feel not just compelled, but justified in a response disproportionate from the perceived offense? M. Night Shyamalan might be the first of the new wonderkins to get the internet treatment. His success with The Sixth Sense baselessly crowned him the next Spielberg or Alfred Hitchcock. And this will bite him in the ass in quick time. So let's take a look at what was going on at the box office at the time The Sixth Sense was released. The year was 1999 and it was one of flux. We were on the cusp of a new millennium and the internet was ramping up. Windows 98 was our our preferred operating system overall as Apple had only started its rise from the ashes. Star Wars didn't belong to Disney yet, and Phantom Menace made Star Wars fans weep with joy and spend money on a film, another film that they didn't want to see, just to view the trailer for The Phantom Menace on the front of that movie. Horror was firmly in the hands of Kevin Williamson and his mix of teen angst melodrama with generic paint-by-numbers horror that helped give rise to what I call designer horror, and you can hear all about designer horror in episode 81 of this podcast. Designer horror films can almost always be spotted by their poster or artwork. It's Photoshop celebrity floating heads filtered in two-tone or black and white, looking sexy and concerned or fearful, always usually with a little blur to them. The Scream series, I I Know What You Did Last Summer, Halloween, H2O, Final Destination, The Faculty, the list goes on with middle school and junior high kids targeted with sexy young performers and VMA celebs. Kevin Williamson, who penned Scream parts one, two, and four of the series, took his meta Dawson's Creek teen angst formula and ran with it into the Halloween, the into the Halloween franchise with H2O. He did it with the faculty, and I know what you did last summer. It was pure formula, and it worked. Scream is a series that gets way more love than it's deserved, only because of fan love of the late Wes Craven, and that I think somehow it's horror that that makes some feel smarter about the genre than what they really are. They claim to get the tropes and the references and inside horror movie jokes, but do they? I was teaching high school at this time, and and somehow the opportunity to say the line, we all go a little mad sometimes, came up. A boy in my class clapped his hands, his face alight with recognition. Scream, he yelled. I know that line. No, I corrected him. It was from Psycho. Norman Bates said it to Janet Leigh. The kid in Scream simply aped it in that film. My student actually argued with me about it until I finally proved it beyond the shadow of a doubt, and he had no idea what to say. Have you ever seen Psycho, I asked him. He didn't. Then how do you know what you are watching, I asked. You just say you get it, but you don't. How much else of the film didn't he and likely a lot of other kids get, but pretended that they did? I mean, no matter A spot-on and funny 90s critic, I used to read this guy all the time, Mr. Cranky. Some of you may remember him. His his image, his logo was this purple yuck face. Uh, Mr. Cranky once stated that Kevin Williamson is to horror what Jim Varney, who played Ernest, 
was to comedy. And I never forgot that. M. Night Shyamalan was up against a lot of cloying product in 1999. Then along comes this little suspense thriller with Bruce Willis, his Sixth Sense movie, who had hit on hard times since the original Die Hard, and Willis was not a powerful box office force in 1999, although far from washed up. It's fair to say The Sixth Sense helped revive his star's light. I remember friends and relatives and students all raving about The Sixth Sense, just like they they gushed this past weekend over Malignant. You'll never guess the ending. The ending is incredible. Oh my God, that ending. I never saw it coming. This was before spoilers became almost unavoidable. I stayed away from all information about the film, knowing I would go see it, and I genuinely wanted to be surprised. So my best friend took me. He had seen it twice and was thrilled to take me and get my take on this masterpiece. Ten minutes into The Sixth Sense, I looked over at him and said, Let me guess, Willis is dead. My buddy, who was his real big guy, threw up his hands, biting his bottom lip to show how pissed off he was, and said aloud with people around us hearing him, Now how the fuck did you know that? My reply was simple, because I watched The Twilight Zone growing up. There were a number of episodes on that show where the lead characters were dead. No one could hear them, see them, and sometimes there was just one who could. I saw Carnival of Souls, for God's sake. I read a lot of ghost stories by a lot of authors. It's the sad realization at the end of almost every ghost story, whether in print or on film, the protagonist is the ghost. This was nothing new, but people forget. Many more don't read. Many more claim to be horror fans. And are really, they're really less than casual ones, and they never caught enough to understand what they were watching. Now, there was nothing amazing, fresh, new, incredible about the ending to The Sixth Sense. However, stack it up against The Phantom Menace, the designer horror of, of the mid to end 90s, Pauly Shore and Tom Green movies, and you can see why M. Night blew up on a single film. I was sitting in my car listening to two morning zoo type radio hosts, two dorks gush about Shyamalan and The Sixth Sense, and, and even then knew that this was hype before the internet would really blow up how something was hyped. I'm not saying The Sixth Sense is a bad film. In fact, I think it's wonderfully effective, hits just the right emotional tones, and there isn't a bad performance in it. It is crisply directed, beautifully shot, and it gave me some really nice jump scares. Was it groundbreaking? Did it do something new? No. It borrowed heavily on old tropes and made them seem fresh. And that's okay. But when I would talk of this assessment to those amazed by the film... I was accused of jealousy, envious of this guy's success, or that I didn't write something so brilliant. Okay, maybe I didn't, but I can tell you a lot of other authors did decades before this movie. People got angry with me, and this was in real life, not online. When you gave an alternative view to theirs, they took it personally. So you either loved The Sixth Sense, or you hated it. There was no other discussion. Take a side. And then the word hater became part of our lexicon and was quickly used to describe anyone who didn't go along with the majority narrative. It was a word used to shut down or dismiss any kind of intelligent discourse on the subject matter, whether person or entertainment. And Stewie from Family Guy defined the word best when Chris asked what a hater was. And Stewie replied to Chris, 
It's something people say instead of working to change their own flaws. The camps, the sides, the teams, the factions have created words to shut down intelligent discussion or criticism when a threat is posed to one's agenda or opinions. Shyamalan did little to deserve what was coming for him. He took the accolades and rolled over into a follow-up, Unbreakable, which again starred Bruce Willis and was offbeat and left of center, and it gave audiences the feeling they were watching something really esoteric. And then Signs followed, and I have to admit, it was the first time in a while I jumped in a film, and one of those points was a simple line of dialogue that Shyamalan himself says about having the thing trapped in the pantry, and the other was the alien reveal at a kid's birthday party in Brazil. The film turned into a melodramatic, preachy kind of thing, and the plot holes alone kept me asking questions while it played out on the big screen. I mean, aliens are killed by tap water. Naked aliens running around in mist, which is water vapor, they're not burning up then. Breathing it in would be like breathing sulfuric acid gas, but it didn't matter. Shyamalan was the next Spielberg. He could do no wrong. America awaited this new genius on the block's next film. And we got it with The Village. And it's here that I have to say... Shyamalan embraced his image all too well. If you remember, he was the king of the twist ending, and now everyone expected that big twist at the end of every single one of his movies. The more he made, the more contrived they felt. Poor M. Night. He couldn't just make a movie. He had to uphold the expectation of outdoing the ending to the sixth sense every fucking time. No other director had this kind of pressure in my memory. I mean, Spielberg was expected to outdo his big kid roller coaster rides. Each one is to be faster and wilder than the last. But sometimes he just chose not to. He had the backing of Jaws and Raiders and Close Encounters and by this time Jurassic Park. So M. Night really wasn't the next Spielberg, was he? That's what America wanted. And it's with the village that Shyamalan was not unbreakable. Just like Howard the Duck and arguably the Dark Crystal, then Labyrinth, proved that the Lucas touch wasn't always golden. It went downhill from there, with Lady in the Water and The Happening, and his career hit bottom with a thud on the big-budget anime adaptation, The Last Airbender. It wasn't rock bottom, though. One more big-budget attempt with Will Smith and After Earth also showed that M. Night could make bombs, and his cachet in Hollywood vanished. Since then, he's returned to his lower-budgeted roots. With some twist endings, he also now has refashioned his image to simply being the guy who brings you offbeat tales, and it seems successful. Shyamalan seems to work best on low budgets, which brings everything full circle for him. And that brings us now to James Wan. There isn't a lot of analysis on Wan. He came out swinging with Saw, which brought him attention and spawned an entire franchise. His real value came with making Insidious for an alleged $1.5 million, supposedly paying everyone deferred wages for Jason Blum's Blumhouse. And both films were monster hits and astounded in always moribund Hollywood with being tiny budgeted horrors that raked in hundreds of millions. Hollywood always scratches its head. You ever notice that? Oh my God, they made this film for almost nothing. It made hundreds of millions of dollars. Hey, here's our answer. Let's go out and drop $50 million on another horror film and wonder why it fucking flopped. It was The Conjuring that made Juan a household name. And it's here where I wish to take a pause. By this point, Juan was given the Shyamalan treatment. He was anointed the new king of horror in Hollywood. Juan's approach was different than M. Night. 
He didn't try to subvert narratives with twist endings. Instead, he played on jump scares, almost PG-13 safe horror. And it didn't always levy heavy gore, and, and it gave us fun horror that won over huge, more general audiences. Personally, I have found all three Conjuring films nothing but trope jump scare exercises. They are silly, and the only reason they have done what they have is a number of gullible people want to believe these are based on reality through the exploits of the loving couple of the Warrens, another Hollywood bullshit story that has no real basis in reality. The Conjuring and all of its nonsense and silly spinoffs are overrated and get free passes because of their alleged true story background. The Conjuring is bullshit like the Amityville Horror. It's just entertainment. I've seen Twitter posts from people who plead with the supernatural skeptics to just let them have the fun of enjoying the films. And yes, they know they are bullshit, but just let them have this one. Let them have the fun of watching them. And and no argument there. The horror world works in absolutes. Plenty of posts have similar questions. Which one? This or that? This film or that film? One film must die. Pick one film. Which one do you prefer? Online tribalism. Are you with us or not? So when James Wan releases a new horror film, all must enjoy. You can't find it okay. You can't feel it might not be his best. You don't dare question its enjoyment. You either love it or hate it. Are you Team Wan or Team Roth or Team Carpenter or Team... Well, you get my point. This is not critical thinking. Tribalism is not critical thinking. James Wan is not the be-all to end-all in horror. However, horror fans are impressed that he can jump from the bullshit world of The Conjuring to the equally fantasy world of DC Comics with Aquaman. They're just different genres of bullshit, that's all. You're not allowed to just accept everything at face value. You should be expected to analyze Wan's work and find fault or dislike for some things. You should be able to express it in a public forum without others jumping on to tell you that you don't know horror, haven't seen a horror film, and other passive-aggressive trolling to make those people feel better. Insidious is a mediocre remake of Poltergeist that devolves into a silly crossing-over plot. Saw is a tight thriller and should never have gone into a franchise. It worked fine as a small-budget film, but it's not an evolution in horror. Insidious 2 just doled out more of the same. You know my take on the Conjuring Universe films. And while Wan didn't direct Lights Out, it should have really been titled Jump Scare the Movie. And I haven't seen Malignant yet, like I've said. But I'm sure I will. And I'm sure there will be some things I really like and others I don't. For those of you dealing in absolutes, go take a few film classes and chime in when you know what you're talking about. But otherwise, people are allowed to express dissent with the ongoing majority attitude. Midsommar, for example, not a Wan film, was fine, but it was one of those that people gushed about all over the internet, but it really wasn't much more than a Wicker Man remake. It's still a fine movie and good horror all the same. The Babadook, not a Wan film, was harmed by the hype and overrated adoration of what would have been a fine spooky thriller. Instead, cynical marketing trotted out William Freakin, who was quoted as calling the film the scariest or I think ter- most terrifying movie he ever saw. Hey, when the director of The Exorcist says that, it better deliver. But it didn't. And that's not really the film's fault. It was the marketing of the film, 
that created the backlash in its release. The Shining is one of the most overrated horror films of the last 50 years. It's boring, it's miscast, an affront to the novel, hated by Stephen King and stripped of all its symbolism the author intended. It is still a beautifully made film with some creepy images and wonderful production value, but its director was the wrong one for the job. And believe me, I get into discussions about this all the time online. In fact, there's one person who is a absolute blind, devoted fan of Scream and Nev Campbell who just, you know, got engaged in this conversation, but refused to acknowledge anything other than their own opinion. And that's fine. You're entitled to that opinion. I'm not going to change my mind as well either. And when I said all of these similar things on the Howard Stern show about two years ago, I directly contradicted Gary Delabati's assertion that it's the scariest movie of all time. Sorry, Baba Booey. It isn't. On the way home, I got a string of poison tweets on the train ride from New York City from people on Twitter who told me I didn't know shit about horror and that they hated my Death House movie. And basically, I should just fuck off. I guess they were on Team Shining. Didn't know they were just so sensitive. I mean, they must be collecting royalties from the studio or from King or from somebody to be so vested in the success of this motion picture. I'll go further. Get Out was not deserving of any Oscar nominations and was a fine thriller with horror elements. It was overrated, overpraised, and overanalyzed. Doesn't make it a bad film, but I can tell you that I called the last 15 minutes almost beat for beat to the amazement of the people in the room watching it with me. Does that make me anti-Jordan Peele? Oh, wait, it might make me a racist or flexing. Wait, here we go. I'm flexing my white privilege. Maybe I'm a Nazi. The lead star was female, so wait, let's add misogynist. That can fit in here somewhere. Or you could just label me a low-budget filmmaker who expresses opinion. There are only several good Halloween films, and I'm excluding Rob Zombies, which are a thing all on their own. H2O is not one of the good ones. And like its 1981 Halloween 2 cousin, it gets a free pass because of Jamie Lee Curtis. Otherwise, Halloween 2, I'm sorry, uh, Halloween H2O, is a Kevin Williamson weekend writing special and not much more. It's like he wrote it while sitting on the toilet. These are my opinions, but I can support them with a detailed knowledge of the horror genre and its history. You don't have to like it. I can support my criticisms instead of just saying, it's awesome. Support that. Well, it just is. And I can also understand why others would think differently. A lot of people paid to see these films, and I did as well. Every single one that I just mentioned that I threw a dissenting view on, I paid money to see them in theaters. I saw every single film I have listed in the theater, and I paid that ticket admission. It doesn't mean these films suck. Suck is the word of the ignorant and the immature. It's a term for the base who lack the mental and critical thinking skills to assess a piece of art a situation, or even a person on their own merit and detractions. Jaws the Revenge sucks, and I can support that. Someone once argued that I was disrespecting the crew and artists that worked on that film. Unfortunately, they are collateral damage when you work on something like that. No one forced them to do it, and you gotta deal with the stink that gets on your clothes. I did afford praise to the film's composer, uh, Michael Small, and he deserved better but that film sucks. And just listen to episode two of this podcast because that film inspired 
this entire cinema podcast, and I'll support my opinion all goddamn day long. So stop being tribal. Open your minds. You don't have to love every piece of candy that rolls off the belt, shoving them into your mouths like Lucy and Ethel in that classic I Love Lucy episode. Some of you may not even know what I'm talking about, and if that's the case, you probably don't even know about half the horror that I'm discussing. Not all the Hellraisers are good. Not all the Star Wars films are good. Not all of the Alien films are good. Not all of the Star Trek films are good. We could go on and on. And you know, you're allowed to defend them. But when you do, defend them with more than, because I said so, my feelings are hurt. Show it. Demonstrate it. Support it with fact and education and an understanding and appreciation for film and film history. Love what you love. Dislike what you dislike. Know what you're talking about. This simple advice can make the world run a lot smoother and much more pleasant. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for listening. And thanks DC Podcast for the inspiration. Have a great week.